The Mary Mac Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you find yourself today in this world. Welcome. This is a brand new year, a brand new decade, and I'm happy you're with me today. So tell me, how was last week? Did you enjoy the new year? Were you surrounded by people who really cared about you and whom you cared about? Did you enjoy New Year's Eve? Did you raise your glass at my suggestion and make a toast to the special person who has left, who's not with you any longer, but will always be with you in spirit, will always be with you in your memories, will always be with you in your mind. They're always going to be with you. Even when you move forward, even when you build a new life, even when you build new relationships, they will always be a part of your life. That will never change. And I believe that as time goes on and the grief and the pain become less intense and softer, you will look at this from a completely different perspective. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. So did you get a chance to journal this week? Did you look at each of the six different categories or areas of your life and see what you might like to accomplish this year? This is a brand new season for you. This is a brand new year for you. And it's 2020, so it's a brand new decade. There are many good things to come. I know you don't feel that way right now, but there are many good things to come. We just need to look for those little things in our lives and record them. Look for the little things that you're grateful for that I asked you to write every night. The five things you're grateful for that took place that day. I never want you to give up on that part of this journey. It is critical that you do that every day. So what did you write down for each of the categories? I'm so curious. The emotional, physical, social, spiritual, financial, intellectual. Did you find something in each of them? Did you only fill out maybe a few? Either way, I certainly hope you'll continue this exercise just to see what comes up for you and something that may be completely avant-garde that you never thought you would even consider or do. Maybe it's your time now to look into that. Maybe there's a volunteering situation that would bring you joy. 
and you're going to look into that. How wonderful to be able to help someone else when you're hurting so badly. I know it might sound weird, but I can tell you that when you help someone else, you don't think so much about your problems and you concentrate on someone else. I'd love for you to go to the marymac.info site, my site, go to the top where it says podcasts, click on there, look for episode five, and give me your comments. I'd love to read your comments. In each episode, toward the right-hand side, you'll see a Read More button. Click there, and at the bottom of the page, you'll be able to leave comments. I'm sure not only myself, but others who are listening today would be really curious to see which different categories you completed and what came up for you in each of them. I'm sure everyone would love to read yours and everyone else's. So thanks for doing that. In today's episode, I'd like to talk about the myths behind the grieving process. At first, I thought I would delve into the emotional, physical, social, spiritual, financial, and intellectual challenges that may be occurring in your life. But then I thought I need to talk about the myths first, because these are something that go through our minds quite a bit, especially in the beginning of our grief. And I wanted to touch on them and really give you some special information about them. So here goes. (laughs) You know, most people, especially those who are experiencing their first death, have preconceived ideas about the grieving process. And that's usually rooted from others' experiences that we've witnessed. So unless you've been exposed to information like this before, chances are pretty good that you don't have very much knowledge or ever wanted any knowledge about the grieving process after a loved one's death before we actually had to deal with the death of someone close. And you know, logically, we expect that at some time in our life, we'll bury someone before we ourselves die, and if we love them, that love will hurt, and it will hurt deeply. So if this is the first time you've experienced a death, you need to understand that no one else's previous experience with grief will be exactly the same journey you experience. And if you have endured a death in the past, this particular death may not be anything like your previous experience. This is a completely different individual with different circumstances, and your relationship with them has been different from the relationship you had with the previous individual who died. So let's begin by explaining what grief is not because we may have heard many stories about what you will feel, what you will encounter, how people will treat you, and many other sordid details, which may or may not be true for you. They may have been true for other people, but that doesn't make it true for you. So I want you to begin this experience with an open mind. So what are the myths surrounding the grieving process? Well, the first one is that everyone grieves in exactly the same way. 
Well, if that were true, there would only be one book on the grieving process. And every person would follow it. There would be a set of directions. It would be like a recipe. It would be similar to an instruction manual that would tell you how to get from point A to point B. And these were the exact directions and exact manner. And there was no deviation whatsoever. But nothing could be further from the truth. Every one of us deals with death in a different way. Your reaction may be completely different from your mother, sister, father, sons, daughters, brother's experience. Could be different than your spouse's experience. How you grieve depends on a number of things. First of all, the way you learn to cope with stress in your life before this death. The quality of the relationship you had with the person who was killed or died. The circumstances under which they died. The practice of your faith and ethnic customs. The emotional support you receive from your family and friends while you're going through the grieving process. Two, we handle all death losses in the same way. Again, this is untrue. You respond to each death during your life based upon many things. Whether that was your first death loss or you've experienced more than your share, many of us can recall the incapacitation and shock we felt at our first serious death. It's based on how mature you are when your loved one died. When you experience a loved one's death when you're a child, this will be completely different for when you have a death of a loved one in your 40s or your 30s. Also, how the person died. You will deal with police and district attorneys when a homicide occurs, whereas for a natural death, That allows you to grieve without outside interruption. Also, it's based on the relationship you had with them. You will grieve the death of a child quite differently than a business colleague, for sure. The proximity of their physical body to you when they died. A loved one killed in a car accident where you were a surviving passenger will feel quite different than your 90-year-old grandfather's death in another state. Also, the quality of the relationship you had with them. If you had strained relations with a family member, perhaps their death will not affect you nearly as much as a neighbor with whom you socialized on a regular basis. Just because you were related to an individual doesn't mean the grief will be greater or longer. And also the geographical distance between the two of you. Chances are you will grieve more deeply for a beloved grandparent who lived in your home since you were a child than one who lived 3,000 miles away and with whom you had little contact throughout your lifetime. Myth number three. Parents are supposed to die first. 
When a child dies or is killed, no matter whether that child was one or 51, parents and grandparents struggle with the unnatural order of that death. All the hopes and dreams they had for their children are gone. Parents endure great sadness knowing a child who dies young will not experience their sweet 16 birthday or graduation. They won't walk them down the aisle at their wedding or see grandchildren from them. They lose their future. When we deal with the loss of a parent, we lose our past. Although we know our parents will leave us at some point, we never really are ready for their death. They provide a sense of family, a sense of security. We now become the senior generation of our family structure. Myth number four. The grieving process is complete in just a few months. (laughs) Oh my. And quite frankly, to some business managers, that could be a few days. But the reality is, grief work can take upward of 18 to 24 months for a natural death. And for survivors whose loved ones died in an accident, by sudden death, homicide, vehicular homicide, or suicide, those time frames can be prolonged. Please note that there is no set time frame, that everyone's time frame is different, and it depends on the relationship you had with that person. If you had a superficial relationship, you will not, of course, need to grieve to the same extent as you would for someone whom you loved very deeply. And chances are, you wouldn't be listening to me right now if this was only a superficial death. This also doesn't mean you grieve with the same intensity throughout this entire time. As time moves on, the grief softens, may come back intensely for shorter periods of time, and then softens again. This is why many bereaved individuals call grief a roller coaster of emotions, because they are not consistent. Myth number five. If I get rid of everything that reminds me of my loved one, somehow or another, this process will be easier. (laughs) Throwing away or giving away the possessions of a loved one immediately after the funeral or shortly thereafter is not a wise move. At that stage, you are still numb and you're not thinking clearly. Your head is in a fog. Leave these decisions until you have an opportunity to get more control over your emotions and your feelings and are able to make clearer decisions about what you would like to keep and how you would like to distribute part of their belongings. Please do not let others make these decisions for you. This is something you need to do in your own time, in your own privacy, when you feel more stable. Now, some family members actually think if they rid your rooms of all pictures and memorabilia, somehow you won't be as upset. They are trying to make us feel better. They want to do what is best for us, 
But in that process, oftentimes, they are really doing what is better for them, what makes them more comfortable. Understand that out of sight does not mean out of mind. Belongings are very precious possessions. And having pictures out may be extremely cathartic for you. It is not uncommon to stand there and talk to the picture when you need to talk to your loved one. It's not uncommon at all. Having his or her belongings still in the closet so that you can smell how they smelled and embrace the clothing, that will help comfort you. So please don't do anything with your loved one's belongings until after everyone has gone home for the funeral. Don't wash any piece of clothing or give anything away until you are stronger and thinking more clearly. Individuals who are not going through the grieving process often do not understand any of these things. And before you have had your first significant loss, neither did you. Take what they do for you as a sincere gesture, but make up your mind that you will be in charge of the possessions at your own pace. If you feel it's too difficult to have pictures or other belongings surrounding you, then safely store them away, maybe in the attic or the basement, but don't get rid of them right now. You will then have the option later to bring them back out or store them away permanently. Myth number six. Grief will never pop back into my life once I feel stronger. Well, this is definitely not true because you will experience their birthday and the anniversary of their death. As time moves along, different milestones occur. If you lost your spouse at a young age, your child will graduate, and as you sit at the ceremony with melancholy feelings, you might think to yourself, wouldn't it be wonderful if John were here to see this? He would have been so proud of our son. Or if your mother died when you were a child, you might imagine her sitting next to your father at your wedding ceremony. Perhaps you decided to finally visit the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., and you are struck by the overwhelming emotion you feel as you read your brother's name for the first time. Myth number seven. I can put my grief on hold until later. There is no doubt that many survivors, especially those with busy lives, have successfully, although temporarily, put their grief on hold. But the key word here is temporarily. What we suppress only comes back to haunt us at some future time in our lives. Sadly, it usually occurs when we either experience another death or when some other catastrophic situation happens which tilts our lives out of balance. It might be a divorce. It might be a job loss. It could be many things. So do not ignore your grief as if it will go away. 
Although facing the pain and experience is by no means easy, it is far healthier than trying to outrun your emotions by working more, doing more, or escaping into an addictive behavior, lifestyle, or relationship. If you've experienced the anticipatory death of a loved one through illness versus, say, a sudden death or perhaps the murder of a loved one, you will know that they are two totally different experiences. Getting to the realization, or what I call acceptance stage, will take different amounts of time and energy. Also, those who have experienced a murder of a loved one will be the first to defend themselves from accepting such a death. They may acknowledge that the murder has occurred, accept their life now, but accepting how the person died is incomprehensible. Varying situations such as these all contribute to how you move through rather vague stages of grief. So now it's time to get up, dance, wiggle in your seat, and enjoy the music. for joining me today. This is the beginning of a brand new decade and a brand new year, 2020. I'm so grateful that you're with me. If you haven't completed the task of last week and added to each of the categories, please continue to do so. Take this time to think about each one. Continue to add five things that you're grateful for in your gratitude journal each night. And if you'd like to add your thoughts, please share them on merrymac.info, episode five. I wish you a magnificent year ahead. Remember to feel happy because you deserve to. Talk to you soon.